How's it going? It's DJ Stash, aka Jesse, aka the host of the motherfucking podcast. Welcome to episode 13 on Topics of the Pod. Today's episode, we're going to do the recap of Survivor Series 2018 and also talk about the late uh, Stan Lee. As uh, if y'all, most of the people that follow my uh, previous podcast, when we uh, talked about the predictions of Survivor Series, uh, I was with my. Uh, my guest uh, Laz, we did plan for him to come on to the podcast, you know, tally up our scores and whatnot, talk about the Fallout Survivor Series, but, you know, things didn't meet up, I guess he's working late at work, uh, couldn't really get him, get a hold of him, but, you know, the show must go on, and as I'm currently recording this for uh, November 20th at around 4am right now, because I had to work myself, but, you know, I gotta get this podcast out, y'all, do it for y'all, and I'm also, uh, people that follow my uh, YouTube channel. I'm also using a new mic right now. I'm using the uh, the Movo PM20S. It's currently just like, looks like one of those little interview mics you see like on tonight's shows and such. This little, it pins on to your, uh, pins up to your shirt. So I don't have to wear like headphones right now. But also would help me if like, you know, have another uh, guest with me at the same place as me in my luxurious apartment here in Central Texas. As a, uh, because it's like the taskable too, so I don't have to like have two mics on to go on the same time, which kind of helps out for me. But I currently got to test out if like if I do like a call in, like on Skype and such. I did review or I looked on reviews on like uh, on uh, Amazon, eBay. They said they did, but some people say they don't. So I will try to do that for a future podcast to see if that actually works. I hope so because uh, I just now got these uh, this mic in yesterday, I believe. So I got like another two weeks or so if I need to return it or not. Also, I'm uh, sipping on some uh, Bang Georgia Peach Sweet Tea. I also did the, the same review on when I did a uh, review about the mics. Let's look at that. I got some 300 milligrams of peach tea getting my veins right now. Yeah, as, uh, as we're going to do uh, the last podcast, we usually try to get some news out of the way. But as I was currently on episode 12, I was, just, I was at a kind of like a barbecue place with my friends, so I just had to really just want to get that. Uh, podcast out of the way you know, I mean not it's real out of the way but you know I just had it you know how to get it done just do predictions before uh, Survivor Series actually got over with uh, yesterday so I did see a little bit of Raw I will talk a little bit of Raw but you know first I'll, I'll get some news done and then uh, we'll get into uh, a Fallout Survivor Series and then uh, talk a little bit of Raw and then uh, we'll talk about Stan Lee and then uh, see where the podcast goes from there so yeah I know uh, one news I do want to talk about because I was going to talk about it uh the last podcast or the one before you know when I was preparing all of these uh, California fires it's been a real tragic been going on right now as I'm currently seeing I always go on uh, Google News it's like uh, the top headlines right now I clicked on it went on uh, YouTube it's currently saying nearly 1,000 is still missing in California wildfires it's saying like uh, authorities said late Sunday 993 were still missing and 80 have died, mostly from the campfire in northern California's uh, Buitt County, I believe. Let's go try to see uh, see more on it. Nah, that's all it says. But yeah, let's go up like a YouTube video. Uh, compl- <coughs> I'll play this video here and see what it says. Here we go. Alright, here we go. Firefighters are still desperately battling those California wildfires and searching for survivors. The death toll from Northern California's campfire has climbed to 77 people and nearly a thousand are still unaccounted for. ABC's Marcus Moore is there in Paradise, California. And Marcus, another concern, all that smoke in the air. 
Cecilia, that's right. The, the acrid smoke from the fire that destroyed this house in Paradise and so many others has been sitting here for, for days. And at one point in the San Francisco area, it was so thick, researchers said breathing it in was like smoking 11 cigarettes in one day. Wow. This morning, the toll of the missing in California's wildfires skyrocketed. Overnight, news the number killed in the campfire climbed to 77. I would ask that uh, so people make every effort to reach out to their friends and family and let them know they're all set. Okay. The search for the missing centering at shelters and tent camps like these, where whiteboards are filled with the names of those the missing road, the and the phone numbers of desperate relatives trying to find them. The pastor at this Chico, California church turned shelter, detailing the seemingly never-ending work to cross off any names. We're also going to walk this around tomorrow morning to everyone that's here to find out if they see themselves on the list. This man says he lost his friends in the fire and overnight learned that his own home was among the more than 10,000 incinerated. I don't want to rebuild. I, I just want to get out of here because you just the memory is such a bad memory. You just kind of want to move on down the road. Just let it all go behind you. Over the weekend, President Trump saw with his own eyes the charred rubble of entire communities wiped off the map. It's very sad to see it. Nobody would have ever thought this could have happened. The president standing by his controversial criticism of the state's forest and fire management. I was with the president of Finland and he said, we're a forest station. And they spent a lot of time on breaking and cleaning and doing things and they don't have any problem. And there is relief on the way. Rain is expected to arrive here late Tuesday into Wednesday, but that presents a whole new concern. The worry about mudslides. George. Okay, thanks very much. Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos. That's pretty much into that. Yeah, that's saying like I actually do plan to still go to California for a vacation. I went to Malibu, but it's just tragic how California has like you know perfect weather, but it just has tragic uh, natural disasters from you know we're saying mudslides, the, you know the forest fires and earthquakes. So I just give my thoughts and prayers throughout the everybody affected in the California fires. I personally don't know anyone there, but. You know, it's as we're Americans, we always gonna keep uh, keep going in these tough times. So let's uh, let's move on to a uh, different topic. Let's see if we can on to another U.S. or world U.S. news here. Yeah, this is one I saw when I was like at work. Is uh, about Chicago. Look on here. It says a uh, Chicago hospital shooting police officer. And two employees and gunmen dead. Look at those, but a video gonna load. If you don't load, that will just read it off. Yeah, that was gonna load. I'm basically summing up. It says, uh, it says that officer and three others, including the gunman, are dead after a shooting at Chicago's Mercy Hospital. This was at approximately uh, 1:50 a.m. on November 20th. So, yeah, it's basically when I was going off work. This is our Western Edition. I'm Jeff Moore, and we're going to begin tonight with a shooting at a hospital in Chicago. A gunman opened fire on the city's south side this afternoon. A number of people were shot. The gunman is now dead, but it's been a chaotic scene this afternoon as people fled and then first responders converged on the hospital. Dean Reynolds is there. Outside of Mercy Hospital, shots fired in front of Mercy Hospital. The shot started around 3.20 local time this afternoon at Chicago's Mercy Hospital. Eyewitnesses caught in the middle of it explained what happened. It was an exchange. It was like pow, 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 pow. It was extreme and it was very loud and it was close. Seen a black man with a 
was a lady uh, three times standing like we are here. Then he stood above her, shot her three more times. Officials believe the shooter targeted the woman who had been in a relationship with him. In an exchange of gunfire between police and the gunman, Chicago police officer Samuel Jimenez was also shot, and tonight he died. One of four deaths, including the gunman, according to the police. You can see the trail of blood in the hospital. Police swarmed the hospital with nurses and doctors coming out with their hands raised. Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson. There's no doubt in my mind that all those officers that responded were heroes and they saved a lot of lives. The area here at the hospital is now secure. We know that the gunman is dead, but we don't know whether he was killed by the police or took his own life. Jeff? All right, Dean Reynolds, and as you mentioned, a number still remain in critical condition tonight, Dean. Thank you. Yeah, I pretty summed it up. Yeah, I just read that. <clears throat> just read that on my CNN news on my phone when I was leaving work. So it's really tragic. There's, there's always been usually a lot of shootings in Chicago. Uh, let's try to end this on on a good uh, entertainment uh, news. Keep it up, upbringing, up, up spirits here for t this morning. I get a little too. I'm just reading here on the entertainment. Let's see. There's something from like Dancing in the Stars, which I haven't even really kept up with. I remember watching that like. At my grandmother's house. It says, uh, Dancing with the Stars, Finest, Bobby Bones. I got an ad pop up. Gotta love ads. Uh, okay, yes, Bobby Bones crowned the winner of season 27. It says, Country Radio hosts of Bobby Bones and Pro Charnay Vargas were crowned the winners of season 27 of Dancing with the Stars, beating out fellow competitors model Alexis Wren with Pro Alan first in Harry Potter star. Oh, really? Hmm. Ivana Lynch with Pro Kyo Mistepe, I believe, and Tizzy Channel star Melilo Mahanam with Pro Winnie Carson. They say, uh, thank you to the person, or thank you to the people, and thank you to Serena, who made all this possible an emotional, an emotional bone set after co-host Tom Bergeron named him the winner. They're saying the, the final four were challenged to learn two dances Thanksgiving week, First, a style of dance the celebrity contestants performed earlier in the season, and the second, a new freestyle. Yeah, congratulations to them. And then I was going to read off uh, just another extra uh, entertainment. Of course, I got to talk about Paris Hilton. <laughs> Sit it on a, a laugh note. It's saying uh, Paris Hilton calls off engagement to Chris Zalka. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. It's Z, Z Y L K A. I didn't even know, you know, that's how far behind I'm behind entertainment news, e-news, if you want to call it. And now she's even engaged. Where are this photo? She, like, has brunette hair now. Interesting. I always remember just, just following her with her sex tape, her alleged sex tape, whatever. Or uh, that time she went to jail with the, was it drunk driving on the wrong side of the road? <laughs> anyhow, it says, uh, a source close to the couple... Who were first linked in February 2017 told Page Six she broke up with him. She's busy working and she realized he wasn't the guy for her. There have been problems for a while. As we exclusively reported in August, the jet-setting couple had already pushed back their wedding date. So the source told us at the time that the uh, noob tales, because that's what it means, says were originally planned for November but were being postponed until May to give Hilton more time to plan. Split first 
reported by TMZ on Monday happened a few weeks ago. It says the associate DJ and leftover star got engaged in January in Aspen, Colorado with a massive 20 karat $2 million ring. Man, follow that. So far we hear there has been no discussion over what will happen to the expensive uh, Babel, I believe. It says B-A-U-B-L-E. Hilton is currently in Dubai promoting her new fragrance, of course. Hmm. It says uh, perhaps in an amnonious uh, sign, Hilton lost the giant ring. In, she lost it. Oh. It says, uh, yeah, she lost the giant ring in March while partying at a huge Miami club, of course. Yeah, she just happened to just lose a $2 million ring. That's, that's just crazy beyond me. And it says, uh, in the Heronis Paris, oh no, it says Heronis, I guess. It says each. H-E-R-E-S-S Has security scoured the venue till it was finally discovered in an ice bucket at another VIP table. Wow. That's not good. I usually just stole that thing and just made two, two million off of that. Says a witness explained Paris was dancing with her hands in the air and the next minute her giant ring had flown off. Wow, that is crazy. That's people. That's just telling you like how much people have fucked money. Just You can just fuck around with like two million dollars of jewelry. That's just insane for me. I did not, man. I was like, I wish I could do like that. Hmm. Alright, guys, enough for uh, entertainment news. News Weekly, we'll get into uh, the fallout of Survivor Series 2018. I uh, currently made like a list, as uh, me and Laz did, for predictions of we each broke down the card. We did like a point system. Uh, re listened to the uh, episode 12 podcast. I did uh, notice that uh, on the last card we did, on we know last card Wikipedia knows that it wasn't the actual last card on the, uh, the actual event itself, that Cruiserweight Championship match. I know it's actually didn't pick a winner for that, but uh, Laz did. So, I'm going to look up on the Wikipedia back in again so I can make sure this is correct. Let's see, 2018. Make sure it gets this down and about. Alright, here we go. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, Buddy Murphy versus, uh, Mustafa Ali. Yeah, I believe he, um, you know, last said Ali was gonna win, and I didn't really pick a winner. But he, he lost in that one anyway, since, uh, Buddy Murphy defeated, uh, Mustafa Ali anyway. But, uh, tallied all the points, how it was, uh, last beat me by a point. Sorry for, uh, me not picking that, the last one. It turned out I had one, I had three points, and Laz came out with uh, four points. So, even if I was, if I picked like Buddy, Buddy Murphy to win, it would be like a tie. So I'll give it to Laz for her, for him anyway. So, if you're ever listening, Laz, you won, motherfucker. <laughs> even though you didn't show up for this uh, Fallout Survivor Series podcast. So, but okay, yeah, we'll get into the uh, car breakdown. I'll just, uh, I know it's out of order here. I'll just look at, I'm gonna read off Wikipedia and just. Uh, Break down how I feel about the pay-per-view itself. So yeah, it says on Wikipedia the first match was the team SmackDown versus the uh, or I'll say the whole whole team. It says yeah, Team SmackDown, the Usos, the New Day, which was Biggie and Xavier Woods and uh, Sanity, Eric Young and uh, Kenley and Dion. I believe that's how you say the names. It says Luke Gals and uh, Carl Anderson and the Colognes. Uh, it says. And they defeated uh, 
team, Raw, Bobby Roode, uh, yeah, Bobby Roode and Chad Gable, the Revival, Dash Wider and Scott Dawson, the B team, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel, Richard House Party, uh, Lentz, you know, and Kalisto, the pretty much, yeah, in the Ascension. Which, uh, they were saying, you know, you know, people that watch it, I'm like, they did like a queen, or Raw did like a clean sweep, even though, like, well, SmackDown actually won the, the first match of the show, and I guess you want to call it, like, besides the pre show. But I mean, if you want to talk about pre show, like, SmackDown won. But as actual pay per view itself, I guess, you know, Raw actually did a clean sweep. But it was just pretty funny how they were just promoting that, even though SmackDown was the actual first winners. But, yeah, we'll move on to the next card. Or, the next match, anyway. It says, it says uh, Team Raw with the women's. It was pretty much the 5-on-5 uh, five five Survivor Series elimination match with the women. It was Team Raw with Mickey James, Nijax, Tamita, Bailey, and Sasha Banks with Alessa Bliss as a team captain who didn't compete. They defeated the Team SmackDown women's team, which was Naomi, Carmella, Sonya Deville, Asuka, and Mandy Rose. Which I know, uh, me and Laz were talking about, you know, who the, uh, to be determined, or, or to be announced, however you want to say it, women was going to be, I was saying, like, Lita, or, I was saying Trish, or the, the pirate, I always call it the pirate girl, <laughs> I can't remember her name, I always remember her name, the pirate girl from NXT, and Laz was, like, saying, like, Lita, and, like, we were just dead wrong, I was like, oh, it's just use, uh, Manny Rose, I mean, I figured they could have, you know, put, like, a better person for that, but, you know, that, it is what it is. Uh, I thought that message up was good. I mean, it's, it's kind of blah. I mean, you know, they came out with uh, uh, Alaska as a sole survivor, just like last year. It's kind of a, you know, throwaway. I mean, the women did perform a great act, but it wasn't the match of the night that I remember it to be. So, it was what it was. Same with the first match I was saying with Team SmackDown. It was just, you know, it was what it was. And then we go to number three, Seth Rollins uh, versus uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, the United States champion. I mean, Seth Rollins being the Intercontinental champion. Uh, this match was great. I enjoyed this a lot. These two did a hell of a match for the first time, uh, competing against one another, I believe, for all, especially, on, I don't know for sure, on WWE. You have to get some great spots. And, uh, so we're going to get into before the, uh, the next match. I guess this is so far in order how it was. Oh, yeah, this is in order. Yeah, I just don't know. Like, Wikipedia is so in, like, the order of matches that you did go on. Uh, it was funny how, uh, you know, part of the show, or part of the last podcast, me and, uh, last were talking about the Cruiserweights, and then I was talking about the last time I actually, uh, really followed the Cruiserweights was in Samamori. So it was pretty funny how, just talking about him actually conspired to him actually showing up on Survivor Series, but like not as like actual part of the show, it was like in the crowd as a straight shoot. But like, I didn't even know he was actually, you know, a part of there until like I looked up, look on YouTube. I was looking, I guess like again, the main event, Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Bryan, which I'll get to later. I was just looking up again on YouTube, and then it just talked about like, I was looking up Survivor Series 2018, and all of a sudden it was just talking about Enzo Amore. Like, I didn't even know he was there until I just watched it on YouTube. But apparently, like, people were just, like, spotted him, like, during the uh, Seth Rollins versus uh, Shinsuke match. 
Like he just had like a hoodie on and some like black wig, whatever. But then, uh, all, but how it transpired, uh, he just made, like he was just showing off like during the next match, which was uh, the AOP, the Raw Tag Team Champions with uh, Drake Maverick versus the uh, the Bars, uh, Zoro and Sheamus with Big Show, which they are the uh, Smack SmackDown Tag Team Championship. But yeah, it's funny. Like as soon as that match started, like you, uh, you see, like Enzo is like standing up behind the, uh, the dude. like he had a good seat too. Like you know he were, he knew where he was gonna be. Like the hard cam, which I don't know. Like he was standing like I guess like behind that dude with the long hair. Like I gotta know people. Like people that fall into the product like me. Like this dude with long hair, this white dude with long brown hair. He's been in like every week. Like all these pay per views from fence. Like to me, he's like the new WWE sign guy, but he's not. Not doing any signs or anything. I'm like, I'm gonna put my uh, like business quality email in here for now on. It's gonna be at a, L, it's all lowercase L I L J J Rockstar at Hotmail. Somebody out there, please tell me who is this guy, man. Like, I have no idea. Like, every time I watch him, I'm like, who is this dude with the long hair? Like, is he, is he like dating somebody in the current roster? Like, I just see this dude like everywhere. It's like, is he part of the show? Like, I don't understand who this dude is. There's no way he can afford to like just go to all these wrestling events like he's gotta be working there or something like there's just no way he's just like just doing this all these events so if y'all know who's this who's this long long hair dude on uh that's always in the crowd front row please let me know at my uh at my email but anyway but yeah Enzo was just pretty, basically behind this dude and he's standing up on the chairs there's like you know YouTube videos all around it he's basically just doing his catchphrase and then as soon as he does his catchphrase, like, security just basically, like, throws him off the, uh, his chair or whatever and just, like, uh, escorts him out the building. And, like, everybody's just looking at him. <laughs> but you could just see it, like, as soon as the, uh, the tag team match starts, he's doing that in the background. And, like, you could see him just, like, getting took off from the chair and then escorted to out of the building. So, that's definitely something to remember for sure. So, I'm pretty sure that's a straight shoot. So it's not even the announcers or anyone was talking about it. You can see like they're uh, like the AOP kind of looking at the crowd, you know what's going on, but not Cesaro or Sheamus. So I'm pretty sure they knew he was there, you know what's going on, but you know they had to be professional about it. Same with the announcers. So that's gonna be interesting to see what's gonna go from there. But as uh, the tag team match itself, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, uh, I was for the. Uh, the bar winning, but as I was saying in the previous podcast, I was saying as a betting man, the AOP was going to win because, you know, the younger guys, you got to pull them, uh, put them over, as they say. And, uh, of course, they won, so props to them. And got to be props to the, uh, the new manager, Drake Maverick, which he seems like a cool guy. I listened to him on an interview with uh, ENC, the Pot of, Pot of Awesomeness. So, you know, props to them. And then we move on to, yeah, now the Cruiserweight match, as we were talking about earlier, Bobby, or not Bobby, uh, Buddy Murphy uh, versus uh, Mustafa Ali. He uh, retained his championship against Mustafa Ali. I mean, for a Cruiserweight championship, or a Cruiserweight match, I thought it was really entertaining, as I was saying in the previous podcast, and about earlier. I did not know who really these guys are, but I usually just watch, you know, the Cruiserweights as it happens in the actual pay-per-view event itself. I always love the high flying aspect of it. I mean, they they're pretty good in match. Right, and then uh, we're gonna move on to the number six. 
which is Team Raw for the men's side versus er, Team Raw for the men's side, which is Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, and Bobby Lashley with Baron Corbin as their team captain on the outside, of course, and uh, Leo Rush. And they was versus the Team SmackDown men's side, which which was The Miz, Shane McMahon, Rey Mysterio, Samoa Joe, and Jeff Hardy. Which we know that Raw, Team Raw defeated Team SmackDown. I thought it was a great match. This is probably, I, I would definitely say this is it's definitely how this put this in order. I mean, they pretty much put this stack to stack to stack. I would say this is, a th I mean, pretty much how it was. And they put this in order like this. I would say this is the third match of the night for sure. Followed by the next two cards. Uh, I like that spot with uh, Shane McMahon uh, jumping off the, uh, the top rope to uh, Braun Strowman taking him out of the match pretty much. But even though Braun Strowman pretty much dominated his side, eliminated four men on his side. So uh, I figured Team Raw was probably going to get this match anyway. Even though I did say... Uh, my predictions that SmackDown was gonna was gonna lose, but they did win the last two times, so I figured we Raw would have a chance to actually win this match. Uh, it was a good, pretty confrontation with all these wrestlers since you. Uh, this has been the only time so far that you actually see these guys actually face off, which we'll probably see them, you know, like Samoa Joe and Braun and all. Then we'll probably see them face off again, like Royal Rumble. And then we go on to the next match, which was, uh, I would say definitely for me, the match of the night, to an extent, was uh, Ronda Rossi versus uh, Charlotte Flair. As I did state in the uh, previous podcast, we all know it was supposed to be uh, Ronda Rossi versus uh, Becky Lynch. Uh, I just like, uh, I didn't like how... The commentators were like, we're from this. I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be you know, a five-star match, WrestleMania match. I'm like, just let the match just be how it is. I'm like, we know how it's supposed to be. Just just let the match be how it is. And I thought it was going great. I'm like, I kind of accepted it. didn't accept how it ended at first. You know, how Charlotte just like basically just went ape shit and fucking uh, started hitting Ronda with the, the Kendo stick, breaking, the, breaking it off on her. I used two of those and using a chair. Just basically just wailing on her. Like, actually, she actually got injured a lot. As you can see on falling on, on Raw. As we'll talk about that in a bit. But, uh, I figured it was a good... I didn't like it at first, but then I thought it was like, well, then, you know, it gives them a chance to, like, actually have a, an actual match later on. Because I'm still hoping, you know, she'll face uh, Becky Lynch. Either WrestleMania before, maybe Roy Rumble. So I'm thinking she's still going to have that match with, uh... Nia Jax somewhat and they didn't talk about it on, on Raw so I'm guessing she may have that match at Royal Rumble I guess with Nia Jax and then she may uh, I don't know she's going to have some conversation with Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch again I hope so for sure because they're they're both on Smackdown so I'm going to see how that goes I'm really hoping maybe even a triple threat the match but uh, I'll definitely definitely look forward to like seeing them comfort again I like to have at least at least finish this match with Holly Fair first, and then have like that WrestleMania match with uh, Becky Lynch. Hopefully, she'll be uh, ready by then. And then we have the final match of the night of Survivor Series, which was Brock Lesnar, the Universal Champion, with Paul Heyman versus Daniel Bryan, the WWE Champion. Which uh, we also know that was also a 
change of plans. It was supposed to be Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles, which I was saying previously on the last podcast. I originally, I believe, like the original plan was probably you know Roman Reigns versus AJ Styles, since you know Roman has to battle leukemia, and I'm and one for that. I don't think they would have like re-signed Brock or have that re-signed, but you know put the title on him since he's you know training for that match for uh, in the UFC. But I guess they just had a throw. That fuck money at him to keep him relevant around here. And as it's going to be him versus uh, Braun for a bit. Which looks like, you know, before we get to this for Braun versus Daniel, I'm saying like right now, like Brock and uh, Braun, it's kind of like the same kind of placement as uh, how it was for AJ and Samoa. Like, it just seems like, you know, they're trying to promote Samoa Joe as like a top contender against AJ, but every time they've been fighting, like, AJ just like dominates them just so badly. Where Samoa Joe doesn't have a chance. That's just how I keep feeling with uh, Brock and Braun. Like every time they can, like Brock just dem- dominates them so badly. And we'll get to that more in the on the Monday night, Monday night segment. But yeah, but as uh, for Brock versus Daniel Bryan, I actually wanted to see this match anyhow. But as I stated in the previous podcast, I didn't want to see Daniel Bryan as the heel for this match. I wanted to see this as more of the uh, David Goliath kind of aspect for Braun being or uh, Brock being a a heel and Daniel being a a face. But I mean, it's still a good match. All in all, I mean, at least it wasn't a squash match how it was, you know, for Crown Jewel example when it was for Brock versus uh, Braun. I mean, Daniel got some shots in. At, I kind of feel it was pretty much up there with uh, that's last year's Survivor Series match when it was Brock and AJ. So, at least it wasn't just a typical Brock squash match. So, Brock did actually, you know, put up a a decent match. <laughs> Got his uh, F5s and uh, Suplex City shit in. And, you know, I still had to show that uh, Danny Bryan heel, as- or, yeah, heel aspect using that low blow. Yeah, but if I want to say, like, matching the might, I would have to go with Ronda and Charlotte, even though it kind of went from uh, via disqualification. But I would say Ronda and Charlotte and Brock and Daniel was definitely the top uh, top matches for me of the night. I would definitely like to see uh, Brock and Daniel again, but like as Daniel as a, as a face. So I'd like to see how that's what's going to go from here. Uh, if I'm going to give this a rating, as I usually do for my reviews on YouTube, I'll give this a solid. I'll give this a solid four. I like the majority of these matches on the card. So I definitely, uh, definitely enjoy this match or this pay per view big time. Definitely gonna see where this goes, especially where Enzo is gonna go. <laughs> if he's gonna be even relevant or even back in the WWE, I like to see where uh, the Ronda, the Ronda Rousey storyline is gonna go. Okay, now we'll talk about uh, a little bit of Monday Night Raw. As, as you know, I'm currently recording this. Uh, Still, uh, after under after Monday Night Raw aired, it's about it's already four forty a.m. now my time. It's pretty much they're promoting the Braun Strowman and the Baron Corbin match for TLC. Apparently, it's going to be a TLC match, which is funny. It feels like they kind of botched that uh, promo anyway, because like Brock, Brock is like you know they had Stephanie McMahon out. He's like, I'm going to pick the stipulation and then you know dismantle you, blah blah blah, and so. Uh, Steph was like, well, you know, I'm talking about lawyers about this, about, about you know, how it's going to be. And they basically, they just already say the stipulation could be a TLC. So, I mean, it's it's just little nitpicks like that, like, I just get annoyed about. But apparently that scenario is going to be of, uh, if Braun 
beats uh, Baron Corbin, and then he gets a title shot against Brock Lesnar at Royal Rumble. Which is like, oh, great, again. You know, I don't mind it, but like, you just need to promote Braun more. I mean, just being, him beating Baron Corbin is not really a big push, you know, to see him face Brock Lesnar, but, yeah, I guess it is what it is. But apparently if uh, uh, Baron Corbin wins, then he's uh, gets promoted to actually being permanent general manager of Monday Night Raw. But if he loses... Then he uh, loses all authority uh, at all. So he'll just be a regular uh, competitor, I guess. He's not fired, but just a regular wrestler. So it's going to be fun to see how that goes. But then apparently uh, when they had like a three-on-three match, it was uh, Braun, Finn, and uh, uh, who was the last guy? Yeah, I, don't even, I don't even remember at this point. But it was with uh, Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Bobby Lashley. And they just basically just gained up on, in the match, they just barely, basically gained up on uh, Braun and uh, injured his uh, left arm, I believe. So, they're going to play on that in the storyline. So, he's probably going to lose at TLC. I don't know, it looks like he may lose at TLC. Or he may overcome it, who knows. I mean, that's basically going to do for the storyline. He's going to, like, overcome the odds or not with his uh, injured arm. And then... Uh, just a few points, and then like Ronda Rousey was there on Monday Night Raw. She showed up her injury with her, I think her, it was her left arm as well. It was like all banged up and shit. And then the, she wanted to say she wanted to still compete, you know, defend her title that night. So she defended her title against Mickey James, which was pretty much a squash match. I mean, Mickey James did uh, you know, injure, try to injure that arm a little more, but it was it was basically a squash match. Even though Mickey James is my bae. She still got, you know, squashed. <laughs> and then they had that, uh, basically that Seth Rollins and uh, Dean Ambrose controversy all throughout the night. And they finally met up in the main event of Raw. Had a little tassel. And they finally broke up, whatever. And that was basically, that was basically the roundup of the night. So yeah, this, this is basically going to look forward to where, where, go, where the product goes from here. Alright guys. Now I'm going to talk about uh, move on for Survivor Series. I'm going to talk about the other topic I was going to talk about. Was Stan Lee. This is the topic I was going to talk about. I was trying to get to uh, last week, but I had other projects going on currently. And usually I've been doing this like back-to-back podcasts, like two podcasts. I know I originally was supposed to do like one podcast a week, but I've been doing like just being two podcasts. That seemed like it's been been going on good for me. It's just doing two podcasts back-to-back. But yeah, I got a. I got like a Wikipedia here about Stan Lee. Stan Lee, he's, he's more like more of my childhood uh, creators, basically. From I mean, I always watched uh, Marvel as a kid. Not really the comics, but just mainly you know the TV shows and movies. You know, as I still do today, as I watched uh, the new. Uh, I won't say new. I guess it was last year, or earlier this year, what it was, the uh, Infinity War two. Or not, or Infinity War. Yeah, they have. Well, the second one coming up next year, I believe. Yeah. And it also helps for people that, you know, who people cannot uh, see Stan, or, you know, has a visual aspect. I like to, like, just read about basically his life summed up. So people who cannot uh, read about it, you know, just listen in. You can just tell, you just listen to more of his story of this man's uh, great legacy. So I'm just looking off of Wikipedia, and I can just be- begin uh, reading about his, uh, his career. All right, here we go. Says uh, Stan Lee, 
his uh, showing his whole name. It says, uh, you know, he was born with uh, his actual, his full name, his uh, Stanley Martin Levar. So he was born uh, December 28th, 1922. And then he died November 12th, 2018. He was saying he was uh, an American comic book writer, he was editor, and publish, publisher who was active from the 1940s to the 2010s. He rose to the ranks of a family run business to become Marvel Comics, primarily creative leader for two decades. Leaning his expansion from a small division of a publishing house for a multimedia corporation that dominated the comic industry. In co <coughs> collaboration with others at Marvel, particularly co writer slash artists Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, I believe this is his name. So he co created numerous popular fiction characters, including superheroes Spider Man, the X Men, Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, the Fantastic Four, Black Panther. Daredevil, Doctor Strange, and Ant-Man. In doing so, he pioneered a more uh, naturalistic approach to writing superhero comics in the 1960s and in the 1970s. He challenged the restrictions of the Comic Code Authority, indirectly leading to change into or in its policies. In the 1980s, he pursued the development of Marvel properties and other media with mixed results. Following his retirement. From uh, Marvel in the 1990s, he remained a public figurehead for the company and frequently made cameo appearances in movies based on Marvel characters on which he received an honorary executive producer credit. Meanwhile, he continued independent create, creative ventures into his 90s until his death in 2018. Sam Lee was inducted to the comic book industry's Will Eisner Award Hall of Fame in 1994 and the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame in 1995. He received the NNA's National Medal of Arts in 2008. Also, like, uh, what I can do on the P Wikipedia, I'm going to play, like, a cameo he, he did in all the uh, Marvel movies. I'd like to commentate over that. Well, that's basically, like, this top bio. So now we move on down to his early life. It says, uh, Stanley Martin Lebar was born <clears throat> in December 28, 1922, as we said. He was uh, in Manhattan, New York City, in the apartment of his Romanian-born Jewish immigrant parents, uh, Celia and Jack Leobar, at the corner of West 98th Street and West End Avenue in Manhattan. His father, trained as a dress cutter, worked only sporadically, I believe I said that word right, <laughs> it's S-P-O-R-A-D-I-C-A-L-Y, after the Great Depression. And... The family moved further uptown to Fourth or Fort Washington Avenue and Washington Heights. Manhattan Lee had one younger brother named Larry Lavar. He said in 2006 that as a child he was influenced by books and movies, particularly those with uh, Errol Finn playing heroic roles. By the time Lee was in his teens, the family was living in an apartment at 1720 University Avenue in the Bronx. Lee described it as a third-floor apartment facing out back. Lee and his brother shared the bedroom with their parents slept on a fold-out couch. Uh, so they gave their children the room. It says, uh, Lee attended DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx. In his youth, Lee enjoyed writing and entertainment dreams of one day writing the great American novel. He said that in his youth, he worked such part-times as writing obituaries for a for a new service and press release for the National 
uh, I believe it's called Tuberculosis Center, delivering sandwiches for the Jack May Pharmacy to the offices in Rockefeller Center, working as an office boy for a trouser manufacturer ushering at the uh, Revol Theater on Broadway and selling subscriptions to the New York Herald Tribune newspaper. He graduated from high school early, age 16 and a half in 1939. Well, that's, that's really early. And joined the WPA Federal Theater Project. Now let's move on to their, uh, his career section, his early career. Saying, with the help of his uncle, Robbie Solomon Lee became an assistant in 1939 at the new Timely Comics division of Pulp Magazine and comic book publisher Martin Goodman's company, Timely by the 1960s, would evolve into Marvel Comics. Lee, whose cousin Jean was Goodman's wife, was firmly hired by the Timely editor, Joe uh, Simon. His duties were prosaic at first. In those days, dipped the uh, pen in ink and had to make sure the ink wells were filled. Lee recalled in 2009, uh, this is what he's saying, he says, I went down and got them their lunch. I did proofreading. I erased the pencils from the finished pages for them. Uh, marshalling his childhood ambitions to be a writer. And young Stanley Labar made his comic book debut with the text filler Captain America Foils, the Traitor's Revenge in Captain America Comics number three, cover dated May 1941. Using the uh, Pisodome, I believe, says Stanley, which years later he would adopt his legal name. Lee later explained in his autobiography and numerous other sources that became of law, social status, of comic books. Let's see. He was, uh... Yeah, he was saying he was so embarrassed that he used a pen name so that no, nobody would associate his real name with comics when he uh, someday wrote the great American novel. This uh, initial story also introduced Captain America's trademark, Ratchering Shield Toss. Saying he graduated from writing filler to... Atomic Comics, with a backup feature headlining Hunter Foreign Correspondent. Two issues later, Lee's first superhero co-creations with Destroyer and Mystic Comics number 6 in August 1941. Other characters he co-created during, uh, during his period of fans and historians. Call the Golden Age of Comic Book include Jack Frost, Debuting in USA Comics number 1. In August 1941, and Father Time, debuting in Captain America Comics number six in 194 or in August 1941. It says uh, when Simon and his creative partner Jackie Kirby left late in 1941, following a dispute with Goodman, the 30-year-old publisher installs Lee, just under 19 years old, as interim editor. The youngest of oh, the youngster showed a knack for the business that led him to remain as the comic book division editor in chief, as well as the art director for much of the time. Until 1972, when he would succeed Goodman as publisher. It's saying Lee entered the United States Army in early 1942 and served within the U.S. as a member of the Signor Corps, repairing telegraph poles and other communication equipment. He was later transferred to the Training Film Division, where he worked writing manuals, training film slogans, and occasional cartooning. His uh, military classification, he says, was playwriting. He adds that. Only nine men in the U.S. Army were given that title. Vincent Fargo, editor of Timely's animation comic section, which put out humor and 
Funny Animal Comics filled in until Lee returned from his World War II military service in 1945. Lee was inducted into the Signal Corps Regimental Association and was given honorary membership of the 2nd Battalion of 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment out of the Joint Base Lewis McCord at the 2017 Emerald City Comic Con for his prior service. Say in the 1950s, by which time the comic or the company was now generally known as Atlantis Comics, Lee wrote stories and a variety of genres, including romance, western humor, science fiction, medieval adventure, horror, and suspense. In the 1950s, Lee teamed up with his comic book colleague Don DiCarlo to produce the syndicated newspaper strip My Friend Irma based on the radio comedy starring Merle Winson. By the end of the decade, Lee had become dissatisfied with his career and continue, or considered quitting the field. Now saying uh, his Marvel revolution. Saying, in the, in the late 1950s, DC comic comics editor Julius Schwartz re- revived the superhero archetype and experienced a significant success when an updated version of The Flash and later with Super Team, The Justice League of America. In response, publisher Martin Goodman signed Lee to come up with a new superhero team. Lee's wife suggested that he experiment with stories he preferred since he was planning on changing careers and having to lose. Lee acted on the, that advice, giving his superheroes a flawed humanity and changed from the ideal archetype types that were typically written for preteens. Before this, most superheroes were aesthetically perfect people with no serious lasting problems. Lee introduced complex, uh, mutualistic characters who would come, who who could have bad tempers, fits of mythology and vanity. They bickered amongst themselves, worried about paying their bills and impress <laughs> and impressing girlfriends, got bored, or even sometimes physically ill. Saying the first superheroes Lee and artist uh, Jack Kirby created together were the Fantastic Four, based on uh, a previous. Kirby superhero team Challenges of the Unknown published by DC Comics the team's immediate popularity led Lee and Marvel's illustrators to produce a uh, complicated of new titles again working with Kirby Lee co-created the Hulk Thor Iron Man and the X-Men with uh, Bill Everett Daredevil and with Steve uh, Didico Doctor Strange and Marvel's most successful character Spider-Man all of whom lived in a thrill shared universe Lee and Kirby gathered several of their newly created characters together in the team titled The Avengers and would revive characters from the 1940s such as The Submariner and Captain America. It says comics historian Peter Sandstorm wrote that in the 1960s. Saying uh, DC was the equivalent of the big Hollywood studios with the brilliance of DC's renovations of the superhero in the late 1950s and early 1960s. It had run into a creative drought by the decades and there was a new audience for comics now and it wasn't just the little kids that traditionally had read the books. The Marvel of the 1960s was in its own way of the counterpart of the French New Wave. Marvel was pioneering new methods of comic storytelling and characterization, addressing more serious themes and in the process of keeping and attracting readers in their teens and beyond. Moreover. Among this new generation of readers were people who wanted to write or draw comics themselves. Within the new style that Marvel 
had pioneered and pushed the creative envelope still further. Saying uh, Lee's revolution extended beyond the characters and storylines to the way in which comic books engaged the readership and built a sense of community between fans and creators. He introduced the practice of regular, er, including a credit panel on the splash page of each story, naming not just the writer and penciler, but also the inker and letterer. Regular news about Marvel staff members and upcoming storylines were presented on the bullpen uh, bulletins page, which, like the letter uh, columns that appeared in each title, was written in a friendly, chatty style. Lee remarked that his goal for the fans who think of the comics created as friends and considered it a mark of success on this front that at a time when letters to other comic publishers were typically addressed, uh, the Dear Editor letters to Marvel, addressed the uh, creators by first name, uh, for example, Dear Stan and Jack, uh, Lee recorded messages to the newly formed Mary Marvel Matching Society fan club in 1965. And by 1967, the brand was well well enough as uh, scorn and popular culture that a March 3rd WBAI radio program with Lee and Kirby as guests was titled Will Success Spoil Spider-Man saying throughout the 1960s Lee scripted art directed and edited most of Marvel series moderated the letters page wrote a monthly column called Stan Soapbox and wrote endless promotional copy often singing off with his trademark model Excelsior yeah, I do miss that. It's in, which is also uh, the New York State model. Really? Okay. And it says, uh, to maintain his workload and meet deadlines, he used a system that was used previously by various comic book studios, but due to Lee's success with it, became known as the Marvel Method. Typically, Lee would brainstorm a story with the artist and then prepare a brief uh, synopsis rather than a full script. Based on the synopsis, uh, the artist would fill the allotted number of pages by determining and drawing the panel-to-panel storytelling. After the artist turned in pencils, yeah, pencils, uh, pages, Lee would write the uh, world balloons and captions, and then oversee the lettering and coloring. In effect, the artists were co-plotters who collaborated first drafts Lee built upon. It's following. Uh, Dick Hill's departure from Marvel in 1966. John Romenta Sr. became Lee's collaborator on The Amazing Spider-Man. Within a year, it overtook or over, yeah, overtook Fantastic Four to become the company's top seller. Lee and Romenta's stories focused on much on the social and college lives of their characters as they did on Spider-Man's adventure. The stories became more typical, addressing issues such as the Vietnam War, political elections, and study or student activism. Robbie Robinson or yeah, Robbie Robertson introduced in the Spider- the Amazing Spider-Man number 51 in August 1967 and Humans and the Black Panther. <clears throat> and or I was saying, yeah, after after I was saying August, August 1967 it says one was one of the uh first African American characters in the comics to play a serious supporting role in the Fantastic Four series. Saying the lengthy run by Lee and Kirby produced many acclaimed storylines as well as the characters that become central to Marvel, including, as I was saying back back to this, it says including the Inhumans and the Black Panther, an African king who would be mainstream comics' first black superhero.
the story frequently is cited as Lee and Kirby's first finest achievement. It is the three-part Galactus trilogy and began in Fantastic Four number 48 in March 1966, chronicling the arrival of Galactus, a cosmic giant who wanted to divide the planet and his herald Silver Surfer. Fantastic Four number 48 was chosen as number 24 in the 100 Greatest Marvels of All Time poll of Marvel's readers in 2001. Editor Robert Greenberg wrote in his introduction to the story that as fourth year of the Fantastic Four came to a close, Stanley and Jack Kirby seemed to be warming up in retrospect. It was perhaps the most fertile period of any monthly title during the Marvel Age. Cosmic historians lead or Leslie Daniels noted that the mystic and metaphysical elements that took over the saga were perfectly suited to the taste of young readers in the 1960s. And Lee soon discovered the story was a favorite of college campuses. Lee and artist Jung Buscema launched Silver Service series in August 1968. Saying the following year, Lee and Gene Coleman created the Falcon Cosmic, first African-American superhero in Captain America number 117 in September 1969. Then in 1971, Lee indirectly helped reform the comics code. The U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare had asked Lee to write a comic book story about the dangers of drugs, and Lee conceived a three-issue subplot in the Amazing Spider-Man number 96 through 98, cover date May through July 1971, in which Peter Parker's best friend becomes addicted to prescription drugs. The comics uh, code authority refused to grant its seal because the story distracted drug use. The anti-drug constant was considered irrelevant. With Goodman's corporation and confident that the original government requested would give him credibility, Lee had the story published without the seal. The comics sold well, and Marvel won praise of its social uh, conscious efforts saying the CCA subsequently loosened the code to prevent negative deception of drugs among other new freedoms Lee also supported using comic books to provide some measure of social commentary about the real world often dealing with racism and bigotry Stan Solbach besides promoting an upcoming book project also addressed issues of discrimination intolerance or prejudice saying in uh, 1972 Lee stopped writing monthly comic books to assume the role of publisher his final issue of the amazing experiment was number 110 in July 1972 and his fi- uh, last Fantastic Four was number 125 in August 1972 and now we'll get into his uh, the later Marvel years saying Lee became a figurehead in public uh figure face for Marvel Comics. He made appearances at comic book conventions around America, lecturing at colleges, and participating in panel discussions. Lee and John Romenta Sr. launched the uh, super, er, yeah, Spider-Man newspaper comics, comic strips on uh, January 3rd, 1977. Lee's final collaboration with Jack Kirby, The Silver Surfer, The Ultimate Cosmic Experience, was published in 1978 as a part of the uh, Marvel Fireside book series and is considered to be the Marvel's first graphic novel. Lee and John uh, Buscema 
produced the first issue of the Savage She-Hulk in February 1980, which introduced the female cousin of the Hulk and crafted a Silver Surfer story for Epic Illustrator No. 1 in Spring 1980. He moved to California in 1981 to develop Marvel's TV and movie properties. He was an executive producer for and made cameo appearances in Marvel's film adaptations and other movies. He occasionally returned to comic book writing with the various Silver Surfer projects, including a 1982 one-shot drawing by John Brain, The Judgment Day graphic novel illustrated by John Buiska, Seeing the pro, <clears throat> the parable limited series drawn by French and artist uh, Mubius, I believe. I'm gonna butcher that name. <laughs> and the Enslavers graphic novel with Keith Pollard. Lee was briefly president of the entire company, but soon stepped down to become publisher instead, finding that being president was too much about numbers and finance, and not enough about the creative process he enjoyed. I respect that. And just talking about uh, we have Beyond the Marvel and his no publishers, his personal life. I was getting into uh, as we're winding down the hour, I want to get to uh, let's get down to his uh, personal life and then talk about his death, and then we'll do like a farewell sketch for this for like doing his uh, cameos in the movies, and then we'll come into a close. So we'll talk about his uh, personal life here. It says in his personal life, Lee was raised in a Jewish family. In a 2002 survey of whether he believed in God, he stated, Well, let me put it this way. Pauses. No, I'm not going to try to be clever. I really don't know. I just don't know. So, as everybody, we don't really know. <laughs> He's saying from 1945 to 1947, Lee lived in the rented top floor of Brownstown, or Bron Brownstone, in the, East in the East 90s in Manhattan. He married... Uh, Juwan Clayton Boycott on December 5th, 1947, and then 1949, the couple bought a house in Windermere, New York, on Long Island, living there through 1952. Their daughter, Kwan Celia J.C., says Lee was born in 1950. Another daughter, Jan Lee, died three days after delivery in 1943. Says the Lees. Uh, resided in the Long Island town of Hewlett Harbor, New York from 1952 to 1980 saying they also own a condominium on East 63rd Street in Manhattan from 1975 to 1980 and during the 1970s owned a vacation home in Rensburg, New York for their move to the West Coast in 1981 they bought a home in West Hollywood, California previously owned by comedian Jack Benny's radio announcer Don Wilson okay it says in uh, September 2012, Lee underwent an operation to exert a pa insert a pacemaker, which required canceling planned appearances at conventions. Saying on July 6, 2017, his wife of 69 years, Joanna, died of complications from a stroke. She was 95 years old. Wow, that's that's also kind of convenient the way that happened too for him. Saying in April 2018, the Hollywood Reporter published a report that claimed Lee was a victim of elder abuse. The report asserted that, among others, Kia Morgan, business manager of Lee and a memorabilia collector, had been isolating Lee from his trusted friends and associates following his wife's death to get access to Lee's wealth, estimated to be worth $50 million. 
Wow, that's messed up too. I didn't know about that either. And it's saying in August 2018, Morgan was issued a restraining order to stay away from Lee, his daughter, or his associates for three years. Yeah, at least justice was served then. And it gets to his final part of his death. It's saying Lee died at the age of 95 at Cedars uh, Seattle Medical Center in Los Angeles, California on November 12, 2018. After being rushed there in a medical emergency, Earlier in the day, earlier that year, Lee revealed to the public that he had been battling uh, pneumonia. I don't know, sorry about butchering that name, but it's P N E U M O N I A. It says, and in February, it was rushed to the hospital for worsening conditions at around the same time. It says, uh, Roy Thomas, who succeeded Lee as editor in chief at Marvel, had visited Lee two days prior to his death to discuss. The upcoming book, the Stanley, the Stanley story, and stated, "I think he was ready to go, but he was still talking about doing more cameos. As long as he had the energy for it and didn't have to travel, Stan was always up to do some more cameos. He got a kick out of those more than anything else. Well, I'm sure it looks like he always had a fun time being his, uh, as people say, his kids' uh, movies. So he was definitely a great man. So summing up to it." I like that. I like how I just briefly did all his Wikipedia. I didn't know. I, was, I just learned more about that too myself when I was reading it. I didn't know his wife. That was great for him and his wife. He was married for almost 70 years. And his wife died around the same age as him. It's usually how it goes when the wife dies. You know, the husband usually follows. But it was great. They lived a great long life together and had a kid. So, still rest in peace to Stan Lee. Where all, all your fans are up, including me, are. I'm thinking about your, your thoughts and prayers to the family. And as I want to send off here, going out to the hour, we're going to play uh, a cameo. <clears throat> so I want to find like a good cameo for him. He's on YouTube. So we found all his cameos. It's about a 10, about almost 11 minute, 11 minute video. Let's see. It says. From 1989 to 2018, so we just put it in the background, kind of commentate over it, and then come up, come up, the podcast to a close. You want to find this video? It says uh, on YouTube, it says every Stanley cameo ever, 1989, 2018. Give it credit to the, uh, the channel, channel, uh, channel person. It says uh, superheroes evolution. But uh, apparently he published it in December 11, 2017. So but we'll see how this is. It is such fun creating characters, writing stories, even doing interviews, even though I can't hear most of what the guy says to me. <laughs> and when you do something that you know the fans seem to enjoy, that gives you such satisfaction you don't want to stop. Answer the question! The trial I was sitting there as like a, a jeweler. Excuse me, I'm looking for some guy named That says Spider-Man 1994. What? Spider-Man? It's like the Amitation Cities. Ham, hold my clothes for a while. I think I've finally gone crazy. Spider-Man again. I've always wanted to experience real web Animation. And I've always wanted to be appreciated as a real hero. It seems you've made me into one. Mall rats. Oh yeah, I remember Thomas in one of the other podcasts. New uh, 
X-Men 2 in 2000. The actual movie, not like an animation. Just show them on the TV. Spider-Man 2002. Uh, Daredevil 2003. Just standing there. Newspaper. The Hulk 2003. Supposedly a security guard. Spider-Man 2, 2004. Just rescued a girl from Tax Girl Rock. Fantastic Four, 2005. Acting as a mailman. 2007, X-Men: The Last Stand. Two thousand seven Spider Man three. Now he's actually talking to Peter Parker here. I guess one person can make a difference. Enough said. <laughs> yep. Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, two thousand seven. <laughs> Trying to pose himself. 2008 Iron Man. Suppose it's Hugh Hefner. 2008 The Incredible Hulk. I don't know what he's posing in this one. He's drinking some kind of weird soda. Two, 2010. Now he's Larry King. <laughs> Thor, 2011. There's Hugh Hefner and Larry King. Damn. Who was driving the truck? <laughs> nice. Captain America, the first Avenger in 2011. Sergeant Amazing Spider-Man 2012. It's up in the library, looks like. Can't hear anything. The Avengers 2012. Playing chess in this. 2012 Ultimate Spider-Man. This is an animation on Disney XD, looks like. Just playing himself, it looks like. Iron Man 3, 2013. So he's playing some kind of swimsuit judge. Thor, The Dark World, 2013. Any questions? Some retirement home looks like. 
Soldier 2014. He's playing a security guard this one as well. <laughs> Still that suit. Guardians of the Galaxy 2014. Talking to some lady as usual. Big Hero 6 2014. I don't even remember this. I remember watching this movie. It's an animation movie. It's playing the dude's dad. I wear them front. I wear them back. I go inside out. Then I go front and back. Dad! I don't remember that. I think it was like in a movie. But. Amazing Spider-Man 2, 2014. I was in the audience at graduation. Yeah, I didn't watch the Amazing Spider-Man series. I just watched the regular Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man series. <laughs> Avengers: Age of Ultron, 2015. <laughs> Agent Carter 2015. I don't know that either. I haven't seen this. Ant Man 2015. Deadpool 2016. Oh, yeah, it's playing the DJ. Yeah. Captain America Civil War 2016. Now he's playing a FedEx guy. <laughs> yes, this is, this is Tony Stank. X-Man Apocalypse 2016. Being a regular civilian. Doctor Strange 2016. The bus. Deadpool 2 teaser trailer. 2017. Wow, he was nice. Perfect to do what's right. It's not about 
living without fear, but facing injustice. It's not about being powerful, but finding your calling when you least expect it. They show us it's okay to be vulnerable. Check this one out then. Spider-Man Homecoming 2017. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> I think whatever you do, you should do what you most want to do and what you're best at. Too many people don't really do what their heart's desire is. But they try to do something else because they think, well, it'll be easy to get a job or to make money. And if that happens, then when you're doing it, you feel like you're working. But if you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. It's easier for you to do. Yeah, that's a great last words. That is true. This is what they always say. You do something you love in your work during your life. So, when you're in there, I thank you all for uh, staying tuned for the uh, Survivor Series review and having my little short spill of Stan Lee. So, recipe Stan Lee, as I say. And usually, I hope everybody uh, has a great has a great week and Thanksgiving because uh, usually we'll come back for the new uh, next week podcast. It'll be uh, it'll be past Thanksgiving, so everyone has uh, hopefully a good time with your family or friends. Spend time with someone you love at least. Uh, be sure to get them uh, five star ratings make sure iTunes or however you listen to this podcast really helps support the, uh, the podcast here uh, usually how I say peace but as uh, I'm going to have a meeting for uh, Stan Lee I'm going to say Excelsior